Hey everyone, welcome to Show Me the Meaning, Wisecracks Movie Podcast. Show me the meaning! My name is Jared, and I'm joined here with a pretty different group than usual, but we still got Austin. Hey! And returning again is Helen. Hello, hello. And we've got a new person with us, an old friend of Austin's, Kyle. Hello. So today we're trying something a little bit different here. So usually we talk about a specific movie, but today I wanted to try something that's a little bit more timely and culturally relevant. So we're doing what probably is not the best idea, and we're talking about the Star Wars backlash. Um, So before we start talking about reacting to what's going on, first I want to go around, and instead of first impressions, I want to get an idea of what Star Wars means to you. Give me an idea of your history of Star Wars and just kind of where you are on your level of geekdom. Let's start with Helen. So Star Wars was my whole childhood. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I probably from, I think about the time I was four or five, I grew up watching the original trilogy over and over and over again with my dad. And so by the time the new films came out, we were, you know, myself and my siblings were completely psyched for them. Um and loved them, watched them over and over, much to the chagrin of my friends. I had one friend who she came over to spend the night and was really left crying because I didn't want to do anything but watch episode one again, which... I would cry, too. Well, yeah. <laughs> so, thoughts on that. That's so, why you had right. one friend. Well, <laughs> which, fine, fine, fine. Um, but, you know, I was... Um, so, yeah, I was a massive, massive fan of the... Um, of the original and of the prequels, which is like clearly not, you know, kosher in, in some I circles. I don't know. I kind of think, I, I think they're making Wait, a did comeback. You, did you start with the prequels? No, I started with the original trilogy. Okay. So that was my introduction. I was, uh, it kind of, I was that generation, you know, we didn't, obviously, I'm not old enough to have seen the originals in the theaters when they first came out, but um, was introduced to them like probably a good seven years before the prequels mm. so you know or no less than that five i don't know but i grew up you know watching them over and over again and then um it was yeah so that was kind of my my experience with with star wars had all of the action figures all the books mm-hmm. played star wars all day during the summer whatever that means um yeah it was it was very near and dear to my heart mm. and right. still is good answer all right let's uh move on to the newcomer kyle well helen's got nothing on me you know it's, uh, <laughs> okay. so maybe it's because i'm a little bit older but I, yeah. I got to i did not get to see uh any of the original trilogy in the theaters the first time around but i remember when the special edition came out and it was the single greatest thing that ever happened to me because i didn't have to go to the one friend who had the uh the laser disc and watch just a new hope over and over. I was finally able to get the full cinematic experience. Uh, you know, it's uh, went on, saw the prequels. That was an equally disappointing experience. Did but, you wait uh, in line? But for I didn't like realize it. Hours and shit to get you know, tickets for the prequels. It's funny. I walked in or uh, waited in line the entire day, and then I did it for the second and the third trilogy. It's like I, I couldn't learn my lesson. The second lessons. and the third. Inst- <laughs> or, the, the, yeah. yeah, the prequels. Okay. Yeah, episodes two and three. So uh, when I, Star Wars really, you know, formed everything in my life. I went on, you know, did the space camp. And uh, now today, 
Judge, because Austin's on the podcast, I don't know if I want to mention where I work, but because uh, he might say something <laughs> offensive. But, but, uh, <laughs> That's all right. But more or less, uh, I help send robots to Mars in some small capacity. So uh, I work in a building called the Spacecraft Assembly Facility at a, uh, a laboratory in La Cunada. So you can kind of connect the dots. But uh, I didn't say the N word. Don't say the N word. No, not that. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. You can cut all of this out. No, 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 no. So it was incredibly formative. I'd yeah, say it's wow. you know my life now it, it revolves around space professionally. Yeah. So okay. Uh, I think Star Wars had a little bit to do with that. Maybe just a little nice. bit. Nice. Yeah. All right, Austin. What about you? Uh, yeah. So my grandfather. See, I I grew up in a sport family immediately. So I didn't really grow up around like nerd culture. In, in my like most primary surroundings, but grandparents and my mom's best friend from high school were extremely interested in, I guess what we would call like nerd culture or comic fandom or something like that. And so I got tastes of it when I would spend time with them. And so I was introduced to four, five, and six from my stepmom's dad primarily, and then also from my mom's best friend, and then from my mom. And so we used to go to the library, and I would rent James Bond films. You know, it was like when you could go to the library, and you would rent VHS tapes. And I would go rent James Bond films, and I would rent Star Wars. And I would primarily rent five and six. I actually didn't see four until, like, well after I had seen five and six, like, ten times, you know? So It's really weird. Yeah, I mean, it was just more of a... I mean, I don't know why. I think it was because my... My stepmom's grand or dad was like, you know, Empire Strikes Back is the greatest movie ever made. So you start there. I think that was kind of the logic there. Um, and then I was a kid and I loved the Ewoks, of course, which I know is like sacrilegious. But did you ever see How I Met Your Mother where they have that – it's like that chart where if you were born after a certain year or born before a certain year, that will dictate how you relate to Return of the Jedi and it actually fits for me because I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't remember what the logic was, but like somehow I fit within the graph that was born within the category where you would like the Ewoks in Return of the Jedi. So, um, yeah, so that was kind of my, my, I guess, formative Star Wars experience as a kid. And then I did wait in line to see the prequels with my mom and my aunt. Uh, at least the first one. I don't remember if we waited. We may have waited in line a little bit for the second one, but definitely for episode one. And then um, even seeing The Force Awakens, I saw it with my mom and my aunt in the theater. And it was kind of a – it was almost uh, you know a family bonding experience. I got all teary-eyed and emotional and stuff like that because it was just – it connected me so much to my youth. Cool. So <clears throat> I have always liked Star Wars, but I've never really – I mean, I was kind of enveloped in the fandom element, but not until episode one. With episodes four through six, when I was a kid, I liked them. I liked them as movies, but they never really had that transformative effect on me. When episode one came out, I think I was just so enthralled by the awesome lightsaber fights and, like, Obi-Wan versus Darth Maul, and so I had to have, like, all the mm. uh, lightsaber action figures and stuff like that. Um, so I was a pretty big fan for episode one, but then, like, a couple months afterwards, the movie would kind of left a sour taste in my mouth, even in my 13-year-old or however old I was. But I watched uh, episode two, episode three. I, I'm kind of an episode three apologist. I think it's it's bordering on good. Um, and uh, yeah. So anyway, so we're going to talk about the Star Wars backlash, this cultural thing that's happening right now. But before we do that, um, I want to first give basically a summary of 
how it got to this point. So this is going to be kind of a lengthy discussion just to talk about what has happened because it, you know, it starts a couple years back. So if you guys want to add anything or kind of interject with any thoughts, uh, we can do that. But I do want to just kind of get through the big bullet points of what is happening uh, before we start breaking down why we think this is happening or the ramifications of it happening. So Obviously, let's start with the big obvious big turning point is when Lucasfilm gets bought by Disney. Everyone knows that the new Star Wars films are made and produced by Disney. However, correct me if I'm wrong on this, Kyle, but the president of Lucasfilms went from Lucasfilms independent Kathleen Kennedy, and now she just got hired by Disney. So it's the same person, right? Right. Okay. Yeah. As far as I know, the, mm-hmm. the, the behind the scenes stuff is where I kind of tune out a little oh, bit. Oh, you do? I, okay. <laughs> no, I think that sounds right. Yeah. Because okay. she was already with... The production, yeah. All right, so in 2016, The Force Awakens came out. That one, what I would say, mostly liked. Would you guys agree with that? Yeah. Yeah, I'd say generally. Real, real, real quick, did you guys like it? Just give me a couple couple sentences, you know, not without getting too in-depth. Well, the first or the second time? Because the first time mm-hmm. for all of these, I had a really rough time with them, and I hated them. Because, mm. But but then once you... I mean, we can get into it more later, but like once you think about it, is you know you're you're not eating pasta, you're eating zucchini pasta. You know, if you eat like mm. zoodles, they're not really noodles. It's a different flavor of Star Wars. Then I appreciated it a lot more. Is that a word? That's so zoodles L- is that's a so word. LA. Zoodles is, are <laughs> oh <my> not. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Okay, but yeah. So you sure. liked episode episode yeah, before the Last Jedi came out? Did you like episode seven? Um, I mean, I liked it the second time I watched it. Let's put it that way. I didn't mm. like neither one. I, I had an issue with both of them because they don't feel like Star Wars movies to me. They feel like Disney Star Wars movies. Mm-hmm. So it's a different flavor. Mm-hmm. But um, I appreciated it a lot more the second time. So was I a mega fan for the of the first one? Not particularly. But the second time I watched it, I appreciated it a lot more. See, I'm about the exact opposite. Where really? You, you know, first time you walk into the theater, it's like, this is Star Wars. It's been so long. <laughs> it's the greatest thing ever. Yeah. And then when I saw it the second, third, and fourth time, which actually was in a 24-hour period. <laughs> wow. Uh, that's a long story. But, and the more I thought about it, I was like, oh, maybe there wasn't as much there as I thought. Mm-hmm. But I, I'd still say it's a good movie. It's yeah. not one of my greats. Right. Okay. Sure. What about you, Austin? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Like I said, I think it's hard for me to separate my experience of that film with the nostalgic family communal experience that I had with my mom and my aunt. So yeah, I, I had a great time when I saw it. And then in subsequent viewings, I've only seen it maybe once or twice since then. And I've enjoyed it both times. I mean, not, it's not like fucking a Bellatar film or something like that, where I walk out and my mind is blown, but I enjoyed it. <laughs> no, but, it, but then again, if it was that, I mean, no one wants that. There would be more Except, backlash. There would be a, maybe a little <laughs> bit more backlash if it was a Bellatar film. Uh, but so my my whole thing. So I'm gonna get into the big complaints, uh, and if you guys, if there are more, let me know. But the biggest complaint is it's too derivative of, of Episode Four. Uh, there are literally beats lifted from A New Hope. Most of the beats of the movie are you can pretty much put a transparency onto The Force Awakens, and it's almost the same movie. That's my biggest criticism of it. But I think formally, it feels like Star Wars. Whether it's you know the the way that the shots move with um, with the score. It just, I don't know, it felt like Star Wars, and I think that that's actually something that's really hard to get precisely, so I thought J.J. Abrams did a really good job there. Another big complaint uh, is that Ray is a Mary Sue, 
which I actually think there's uh, a lot of credence to this idea. But I think that we're all, we, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but we were all willing to forgive it because it was just the first movie and maybe she would kind of come across some more conflicts in the second movie. And for those of you that don't know, a Mary Sue is basically what that means is that there is a female character who is perfect from the beginning. She doesn't have to overgo any challenges or she doesn't have to actually personally improve. She's just amazing from the beginning. And then the other big uh, complaint that people had is that Ray and Finn are able to hold their own against Kylo Ren, who is supposedly trained by the greatest Jedi to ever live, which I totally get that. And then there was kind of a small, I don't know if you guys remember this, but when the trailer first came out, there was a backlash of people who were thought that the movie was being overly ideological. And we're going to get into this ideological thing with The Last Jedi, because the first thing that you see in the theatrical trailer for The Force Awakens is... Uh, is a black guy, you know, and people were saying like, oh, it's, you know, they're, they're too much, they're signaling too much of this political statement. But that kind of died out because I think people were generally po positive about the movie. I'd mm -hmm. say so. Mm -hmm. Then came <laughs> The Last Jedi. <laughs> so this is a shit show. This is like, like, you know, Solo has come out and that's already failed. And, but, but still the conversation is about The, the Last Jedi. Well, wait, Last that Jedi ruined came everything. out after Rogue One. Yeah, Rogue One, right? Oh yeah, I forgot about and that. Rogue but, I mean, One Rogue kind of set up some of these themes. I remember, like in in left Twitter world, all of these sort of progressive minds were the hive, if you will, was buzzing about Rogue One because they were finally saying, "Oh, you know, the fascists that the Jedi's are uh, that that sort of story has been taken and given to the people now, and it's about like rebellion and revolution and people power and things like that." So it kind of started there, no? Man, I, never, I was never in that section of Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I don't even have. I'm gonna I don't believe even, you. I don't even have Twitter. But <laughs> I guess, yeah, I, I, I just, rem I don't remember hearing a lot of buzz about the movie. I mean, the movie did well. People generally liked it. I never really heard any like, I never heard like vitriol about the movie. It was mm -hmm. basically just like, okay, cool. That was like a, a uh, you know, non-numbered Star Wars film that had some cool elements to it, and uh, yeah, moving on. Yeah. Right? Hmm. Did it was anyone offended by <laughs> not that I know <laughs> by of, Rogue One? Mm -mm. I thought it was all right. I liked yeah. it. You know. Um, okay, so let, let's move on. It was to the, the okayest Star Wars ever? It was the okayest <laughs> Star Wars. All right, so now let's go on to the Last Jedi. This is where shit hits the fan. It is extremely divisive. So I want to spend some time going over what exactly people are mad about, uh, for those of you that don't know. Are you just going to do a list and then? I'm going to do a list, but guys, feel please feel free to comment. Um, but uh, after I'm done with this, we're going to go into the, the why. All right, so the general complaints, this is the one I adhere to the most, is that the film's just kind of boring. Mm. Um, and, you know, that's just kind of the surface level one. Another general complaint is that Ray is still a Mary Sue. She still doesn't really, there's no training scenario. There's no, like, her being frustrated like there is in The Empire Strikes Back with Luke, you know, training with Yoda and being really frustrated and failing and getting back up. That doesn't really happen with her. And then the uh, Finn and Poe as characters are kind of wasted, whereas they uh, showed a lot of promise. Uh, and then Phasma is pointless again. So those are general complaints. Another complaint is that it breaks the lore. So one of the things, um, I'm, in, I'm curious to see how critical you guys are about this. They broke hyperspace. So hyperspace is supposed to be traveling through another dimension, not literally going light speed through the physical universe as we experience it. So... Wait, are you sure about that? Because there's all that talk in the original trilogy about how you can't do it 
in an asteroid field. And I always thought that the implication was it's because you have to do the appropriate calculations so that you don't crash into an asteroid at light speed. Well, I feel like the person who's oh, like, yeah, like an need... astrophysicist yeah, please. or some shit. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, hey, I, nothing like that. I'm, okay. But uh, <laughs> those are the smart people. I'm just one of the guys that works with them. Okay. Uh, so my understanding, and I've had a bunch of conversations about this, is the reason you couldn't go to hyperspace in an asteroid field is because you have to calculate all of these different maneuvers and uh, you know your entire course. And so how it was explained to me is that there is a brief moment where you – it's like going 88 miles an hour in a DeLorean. you you got to get up to speed and then bam, you're gone. Oh. Okay. So, and you can't uh, do that in an asteroid field. So if you don't have it perfectly plotted and you're going in a straight line and you hit an asteroid before you jump to hyperspace, then – so that's my understanding. I don't know. A lot of people – you know, argue about these sorts of things, but I had a scientist explain that to me. No, okay, so, okay. Th- that sounds fine. But is that ever <laughs> is that ever solidified in the original trilogy so that people would be disappointed if that that if that physics if the, if those lo- if that rule if you will is confounded? I don't remember well, that being I mean, they, explicitly they, they stated. They explain a lot of stuff not in the trilogy itself, but in the ancillary materials. Uh, oh, you know, there's that, a, were, that were decanonized. Right? Yes, and so it's decanonized. So can you uh, really say? Well, on page one seventy two of the Star Trek Encyclopedia, the hyperspace uh, says this. Does that hold any water? Still, it does to some people, but right. Um, it also, but it, but I think the more important thing is it makes it makes kamikazing the most. Obvious thing that the rebels should just do. I mean, if if uh, Holdo's ship was able to split an Imperial cruiser in half, then they should just be doing that all the time. Yeah, why go on a trench run? Just aim a bunch of X-Wings and hyperspace. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Uh, These are things. So Yoda is able to summon lightning, but force ghosts have never been able to influence the real world. That one didn't really bother me. The big one, Leia Poppins. How is she all of a sudden so force sensitive? <laughs> um, these are all just kind of nitpicky things. Yeah. Now we're getting. I in... will argue that one, but I won't. Oh, you don't think it's nitpicky? No, no, no. I would argue the Mary Pop or Leia Poppins because that's a she's whole. She's a Skywalker, yeah, so we can I mean, believe she... that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. She's a freaking okay. Jedi, and thirty years have passed, and who knows what she learned along the way? Yeah, but it was sure. just cheesy the way that it was done. I thought. I have to agree with that. It was pretty. Uh, it was a little bit lame. Just. Especially yeah, really. coming there after Guardians so of the Galaxy things. Two, or yeah. you know, the Yondu. Oh yeah, I'm not your, I'm not your daddy, or I'm not your whatever he says. I'm, your, I'm, I'm not your father. I'm your daddy. Whatever. Yeah. It sounds sexual out of context, but anyway. <laughs> um, so, so now we're getting into, into the big shit. Luke Skywalker. So he goes from an idealist to a coward over a single failure. And the, and the, the big thing here is that these issues over that, like you know, they took this character who's the most idealistic person. In the world, the most powerful Jedi, a beacon of good and hope, and turned him into a coward who, you know, makes one mistake and then becomes kind of a hermit who doesn't do anything. Now, what really is the issue here is that these concerns have been echoed by Mark Hamill, who who very vocally disagreed with the director-writer Ryan Johnson. And I think this is actually an interesting thing to talk about that we'll talk about after this recap of, you know, at what point does the the actor who has played the character for decades and been there to kind of foster these fan communities, at what point does he have some sort of authorial say on what happens to his character? Um, anyway, so the other one is Marvel humor. People just don't <laughs> like humor in the thing. 
So there's also what people have called that Ryan Johnson, the writer-director, obnoxiously and deliberately subverted people's expectations, which was largely interpreted by fans as a big fuck you. <laughs> so, oh. for example, Snoke is given no backstory and just dies. Ray's parents, are instead of being Obi-Wan or whoever, are just randos. Uh, there are various plot subversions, like Luke wanting to burn the tree, but she saved the books. Rose uh, thwarts, uh, or you think that Finn is about to sacrifice himself, but then Rose all of a sudden thwarts it. So uh, those are things people are really pissed off about. All right, so the the, the other big one that I think is uh, kind of the product of most of the vitriol on the internet about this movie is the ideological complaints. So the first one is what I'm calling Holdo, which is the character that Laura Dern plays, and what has been called the hashtag trust women problem. <laughs> so basically what this means is that people are saying that Holdo, by not telling Poe the plan, it dooms them all. And we're meant to identify with her choice and fawn over her heroics when, in reality, she was irresponsible. And so I think people are saying, either they're saying it's bad writing, or... You know, one could say they're projecting the context of the times onto the film, or people are saying that Kathleen Kennedy or Ryan Johnson, whoever, is more interested in making like a political statement than, you know, making a movie with an inherent consistent logic. Does anyone say that maybe just the character of Holdo made a mistake? Well, the problem is, I would say from the fans' perspective, if that was the case, that Holdo made a mistake— she doesn't realize it. She doesn't recognize it. And her blaze of glory isn't one in which she says, all right, I fucked up. I doomed us all. So I'm going to sacrifice myself to make good for the mistake I've done. It's just, you know, oh, I guess Poe fucked up. I don't know who's to blame, but <laughs> mm -hmm. but there is no recognition yeah. that there, a yeah. mistake was made. I think that that's kind of the issue. Uh, the other one is Rose and the overly saccharine moralizing for the first time in a Star Wars movie. Mm. So we see for the first time that the rich are exploiting the poor and they're cruel to animals. And it's over the top how the heroes are now janitors and mechanics instead of queens and kings and princes. And then a another thing I hear about a lot is Rose's inclusion seemed more like ideological tokenism than rather than creating a compelling character. So due to all these issues, a vocal group of passionate Star Wars fans have been campaigning against Ryan Johnson, who wrote and directed The Last Jedi, and Kathleen Kennedy, who is the head honcho at Lucasfilm. And as a result, or they would claim that as a result, <laughs> nobody saw Solo. And now we're in a position where what was once considered an underground community of very vocal, very disappointed fans are now being taken more seriously as Disney ponders if they have to cater to this audience in order to keep the franchise alive. How much money did Solo make? Uh, 50, 50 million, not enough. For yeah, them to I think break it's even. up to about 350 Three, million. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, the, uh, it's the first Star Wars movie to ever not be profitable, and it's not looking, you know, it's just a bad look. Well, it, the movie is absolutely going to be profitable. You know, when it comes down to all of the merchandising, Blu-ray sales, But who buys DVDs? the merchandise? You know, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. If, if the fans are the ones that are pissed off, then, you know, I think that the language I've heard it described is that, like, you know, in order for merchandise, or at least for Star Wars merchandise, to be as lucrative as it can possibly be, you have to cater to those fans who buy one buy one that stays in the box and buy one to play with. Mm -hmm. You know, like, that's where the big money is. And if those people 
are feeling like they've been like mistreated or whatever, then you know th- those sales are going to dip. Because I'd say they probably missed out on a fair amount of profit if this is true and this is the reason for it. But you know, all of these outraged fans, they have kids that have never heard the the abbreviation SJW or anything like yeah. that, and mm-hmm. you know they're they're still getting you know, Chewbacca plush toys and things like that. So I I, I don't want to make it look like Disney's about to go out of business because they had a bad Star Wars. Oh, yeah, oh, no. that's uh, definitely no, not the case. But Yeah, no, they're all fine. Yeah, they <laughs> just left a, a few hundred million dollars on the table. Although right. Kathleen Kennedy apparently is on the chopping block. Right. That's the rumor. So the rumors are, first of all, fans are calling Ryan Johnson smug. They say they have his head up his ass. Uh they're saying that Kathleen Kennedy is more interested in making ideological statements than making a good movie for its fan base. There's even a manifesto calling for the remake of The Last Jedi. Most recently, Kelly Marie Tran, who plays Rose, was fled Instagram. She deleted all of her posts reportedly, and there's some disagreement over whether this is true or not. It was because months of racist and sexist, sexist harassment from fans. All right, so before we get into um, the last thing I want to say is basically just the creators and Disney have started saying or have started kind of communicating to the fans. So Ryan Johnson on Twitter, I don't know why he's still on Twitter, has been has called the fans man babies. That did not make them happy. <laughs> JJ, that doesn't mean it's not true. It's just probably um, not something that needs right. to be said. It's just not tactful. J.J. <laughs> Abrams said that, if you're feeling if you're someone who feels threatened by women and needs to lash out against them, you can probably find an enemy in Star Wars. You can probably look at the first movie that George Lucas did and say that Leia was too outspoken or she was too tough. Anyone that wants to find a problem with anything, they can find the problem. The Internet seems to be made for that. And then just yesterday, James Mangold, who is supposed to be helming, I believe, the Obi-Wan movie, he says, at this point, when writing and directing big franchises has become the emotionally loaded equivalent of writing a new chapter in the Bible then a lot of bolder minds are going to leave these films to hacks and corporate boards because who wants to deal with this shit, oh, you know? That's, Absolutely that's not. That's fair. Uh, all right, so I'm going to skip some of the other things. I'll come, uh, I have some other uh, quotes from a Wired article and a Hollywood Reporter article, but I want to get to what you guys think. I just want to get first impressions about what is going on, and um, I guess just, yeah, I want to hear where you guys are in this camp. Are you are you mad at Disney, uh, you know, how, where do you where do you guys put uh, field yourselves? So I'm the one sitting here without notes, but uh, I did some research, and there have been over 150 Star Wars video games. Uh, there's uh, before things were decanonized, there were 154 Star Wars novels. So, hmm. in the context of that, there are people who have literally spent thousands upon thousands of hours into the in the Star Wars universe before Disney comes around. So it's it's. It's difficult to look at this as just a movie because this is a universe that millions of people have lived in. Um, it, and it spent far more time than all the other stuff. So they're already a little bit irked that all of this gets decanonized. I think this is ridiculous to lash out in this way. Um, you know, there's a lot of valid complaints on that list. There's mm-hmm. a lot of things. There are some of the things that I would agree with. But uh, – it's kind of like having a huge reaction after Empire Strikes Back. You don't know where Episode Nine goes, and perhaps some of these things are addressed in the the overall arc. But I just have a hard time getting too worked up until I see the story all the way to the end. Mm-hmm. And that's just my initial reaction to hearing those. It's hard for me to get emotionally worked up 
you know, maybe at the end of nine, I'm going to come back and be like, hey, guess what? All of you guys on Twitter, you ended up being right. I, <laughs> I guess the, what I would push back to is you're saying it's it's ridiculous and maybe it is, but I mean. We're talking about this right now. <laughs> Kathleen Kennedy and Ryan Johnson are aware of these concerns. Oh yeah, and, and like and now because Solo was such a flop, they're like worried about it. So, I guess if they're winning, then uh, yeah, that's y- you know like then is it really that ridiculous? Because they're making a difference. You could argue potentially. Yeah. yeah, and it's and I wonder what it would have looked like back in 1977, 80, 83. If Twitter had existed, right, exactly. You yes. know, it's it's, it's a totally different landscape, and uh, and maybe you know I wasn't even alive when so, Empire Strikes Back, but maybe there were a bunch of people who were really upset then. But they talked to their you know you know Luke Skywalker plush toy about it instead of going on and you know sharing their opinions with millions of other people. So Kyle, I got a question for you because I was talking about this with Jared a couple of weeks ago. And for people listening who don't know, Kyle has an MBA and he's an economics buff. Um, and he kind of works in that arena right now as well. So this question is Well, perfectly... not right now. Okay, not right now. Yeah, yeah it's... it's but, but he, uh, yeah. He's a numbers guy, though, um, in a yes. lot of ways. And so so this whole, th- this question is kind of perfectly tailored to you and I wonder what your thoughts are. So, and I was I was musing about this with Jared and I was thinking, uh, have, you, have you read Jeremy Rifkin at all, Kyle? Uh, not in particular. Okay. So he develops this idea of what he calls the prosumer. And it's like the merging mm-hmm. of the consumer and the producer in the era of what he calls like a zero marginal cost society. And he talks about how, you know, with the advent of 3D printers and CNC and laser cutters and things like that, that, that in the maker movement, that people are kind of producers and consumers rather than having to rely on the traditional mechanisms of manufacturing. And what I was wondering is, is do you think that there's like a mirroring that is influencing maybe the reason why people are so invested in the intellectual property of Star Wars that maps onto this shift more towards this like prosumer society where people are able to produce their own content through Twitter or through YouTube videos. And that the reason that that's starkly different than the original trilogy is because you didn't really have those technical or technological mechanisms. And so you had much more of a top-down, maybe a typical quote-unquote, and I'm using this analogously, as maybe as a metaphor, but you had a typical manufacturing model where you had the people who were the producers and then we were just consumers. But now the consumers have become producers. They've become content creators. And so there's more of an investment that they've that they've projected into the content and that they then have an inflated sense of the return that they're supposed to be getting on this investment. Does this make sense? Yeah, I get where you're going with that. It, it, you kind of bring to mind, uh, it's almost like there is a critical long tail here. You know, back in the day, there would have been a few major media outlets and they covered it. And that's the, you know, 81, 96%, whatever it is, Metacritic rating, Rotten Tomatoes, the critic score. And now you have this long tail of YouTubers, Twitter, uh, people all over Twitter, Facebook. And so while they might not carry the same weight, they far outnumber any of uh, the traditional critics. And so there's almost like this very angry long tail that uh, has come back and and bit Disney a bit here. Hmm. Um, I, I don't know how I would respond to you saying they have more investment in it. The The investment that I would see they have in it is just in spending years and years and hundreds of hours in this sandbox. And, you know, someone came and said their sandcastle sucked and you had all these hours you spent arguing about what was going to happen. 
in uh, Last Jedi, and then it turns out you were all wrong, and now you're saving face, and uh, you invested all of these hours, and it seems like it was taken for granted, maybe? Yeah, well, because when you invest in something, I mean, even if it's a family, right? You invest time in your family, or you invest in your church community, or you invest in your university research, or you invest in your YouTube company that makes funny videos. There's an expectation of reciprocity, that you get something back. And so what I wonder is, is this feeling of being spurned because it's somehow this overinflated expectation because they have been taught that when you get in, when, when you invest in something, you get a return and that they're not getting this return based on this image that they have that's based on this like nostalgia. And so when something, when the product goes in a different direction, it's almost like it's taken out of their control and they're like, that's not what I invested in. That's not it. You're talking about like this, you know, subverting the expectations. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's a, and I'm just, that they have an emotional attachment to these expectations and the the idea yeah. of surprise or, or taking it in a different direction isn't exciting so much as it is somewhat emotionally painful because you've attached yourselves to those. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. What do you think, Helen? I, I think it's definitely the emotional attachment and having absorbed yourself in, you know, this this kind of universe that you... It, it was an escape, I think, for people um, in a in a in a way that, at least for the fandom, I know for myself, um, that made the Disneyfied version of these films a little bit challenging. And I would even say that that's true with the first one because I feel like the humor was—you said the Marvel humor—I didn't know how to term it, but there's there's this extra cutesiness to it that it's like that's not Star Wars. What are you doing? And it mm. felt. Um, it didn't sit well with me, and it seems like, too, a lot of the people who I know in my position, I didn't realize um, that there was, you know, kind of that the first, even the original trilogy was was an allegory, I think, for for the Vietnam War, right? There was a, you know... Some... Definitely Return of the Jedi. Return of the yeah, Jedi, yeah. Right, and that was something that I think a lot of people who are, you know, up in in arms about about the last jedi I didn't under didn't recognize and they saw it as an escape so then you get in this you know kind of political climate it's it's easy to see things even when they're not meant to be a social justice kind of warrior thing you or if may, and and perhaps or if you know they are too I think it's um that people take that offensively because it's like damn I just want to get away I don't want these kinds of things thrown back in my face again just leave this can we just have Star Wars hmm. instead of it having to be some kind of a statement which it always and was where, where does your opinion lie in that whole thing <sighs> um I, I didn't I didn't remember I didn't ask what you think of the last Jedi yeah, I really uh, it was kind of the same thing. I really did not like it the first time at all um, because it didn't feel like a Star Wars movie to me. Um, the I don't think the social justice stuff. That's I mean, I can see the uh, on. I can see why people would be kind of frustrated by that. But I mean, that's that's true for all films i think in in media in general um you know but so i don't i don't know i don't think i did but i did not it, it was the second time around i appreciated it more but again because i thought of it as a different flavor of star wars rather than coming in with the expectation that i was going to see something that i felt like you know fit in with the my original expectations of the movie but you didn't attack anyone on instagram no okay. and see those <laughs> see i would think that population must is probably a lot younger i would imagine right there's or a, a lot older <laughs> I guess yeah, that's I mean, look. At the end of the day, you know, whatever your concerns are, harassing people is oh, never good. Yeah. Oh, that's a whole. There's so much you can do with that energy. 
that, you know, that's just a waste of time, I feel like. And it's gross. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> so, that, obviously. We're talking about a couple different things here, and I just want to kind of focus on one thing at a time. So one thing that Austin mentioned that I want to focus on for a second is to what extent can fans claim ownership of IP like Star Wars? If in a time where we're so connected and the fans, the lifeblood of the franchise, are able to vocalize what they want, more or less, I mean, they're not necessarily dictating the movie to creators, but do creators have a, do they, yeah, do they have a responsibility to please the people that have made their franchise? It's easy to take it for granted. It's easy to say like, oh, fuck you, we're Star Wars, we're indestructible. <laughs> but at the same time, uh, you know, no no one, Wisecrack, Star Wars, anything, no, anyone in entertainment is no one without their fans. So can you really just put the middle finger to them? Well, I mean... I'm I'm very much uh, you know I love the way markets work. It, it's so the short answer is well, absolutely no, you I'm got kidding. you you have a market you you're spending two hundred three hundred million dollars you know making producing marketing these movies so obviously you need to have customers for the product you're making, but it's a little bit different with art and mm-hmm. you guys are probably you know uh, more on top of this than I but I feel like when it's something related to art that there needs to be a certain amount of freedom given to the creators because yeah. otherwise you're just going to get, you know, Ewok story one and two. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, that's a great point. That's a great point. You have to give independence to the artist because nothing good was ever made by committee. No, it's it, it's so... I personally, I thought it was great to see someone take a new take. I, I really enjoyed following it and seeing where they're taking this, and I can't wait to see where it ends up in episode nine, but... At the same time, you know, there is a little bit of a pushback where you can't go too off the rails. You can't all of a sudden make some, you know, some crazy noir movie set in the Maz Isaac Cantina and slap episode nine on it because <laughs> it's just not going to, you know, make your money back. So there, I don't know how much I would say ownership. Okay, but so here's a good example. So I think it's fair to say that Ryan Johnson, and this is how I interpret it. Ryan, you mentioned earlier that there have been books, there's been this whole universe that people have been living in, and there's this lore, and people love Star Wars, not because it's not because it moves with the grace of like a John Ford, John Wayne movie. You know, Star Wars fans aren't necessarily cinema nerds like Ryan Johnson is. Mm. And I would argue that Ryan Johnson doesn't give a fuck about lore. <laughs> you know, mm. he cares about, like, he, you know, he sees himself as, like, you know, the next De Palma, the next John Ford. You know, he sees, he looks up to people like Coppola. He's a USC grad. This is, like, the legacy he wants to, he's concerned with cinema. Actually, days before The Last Jedi came out, I saw an interview uh, live at the Directors Guild with Ryan Johnson and Paul Thomas Anderson, who is, if you don't know who he is, he's an art house director who made like Boogie Nights, Magnolia, There Will Be Blood. And it was just weird to me to see like, oh, I wouldn't expect the guy who's directing Star Wars to be talking about The Phantom Thread, which is like one of the smallest movies of the year. <laughs> but yeah, he cares about cinematics. Mm. And that that's somewhere where I'm curious what you guys think. I think that it is perhaps irresponsible for... Or maybe there's a line. I don't know where the line is, but if I were to come in and say that, okay, people love Star Wars because they like to get, uh, they like to get lost in the details of how this world is built. Well, I don't give a shit about that. I'm just going to make a piece of cinema that, like, you know, kind of throws all the rules to the end, and I just want to make like a 
a post-Western in the tradition of, like, you know, old John Ford or newer Well, this newer is why John James Mangold doing the new Obi-Wan film is exciting to me because we know what he can do with an interesting and important uh, and established piece of intellectual property, but also who's a cinephile and talk about these themes that we get in the uh, American artistic and cultural mythological landscape, right, which is what he did with Logan. And so what I wonder is – and I'm trying to be sensible here. I'm trying not to just be like art house only, auteur theory, fuck studio systems. Um, So what I would say is I wonder if a more successful strategy would have been to just give J.J. Abrams control over the main trilogy – and then farm out the ancillary films like the Rogue Ones and the Solo film and the Obi-Wan films to these – the Ryan Johnsons, the Mangolds and people who are going to inflect a little bit of their own sort of unique uh, color or flavor into them. Would that have been more successful? Because then you're still giving the people what they want. You're still being faithful to this nine-part saga – but at the same time, you're also allowing for experimentation and expansion beyond that. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, anytime you have one creator instead of, like, you know, passing a baton between two people. You know, actually, I take that back. But that's never happened in Star Wars. It's never happened in Star Wars, especially with now that we know it seems like Well, but even so if it was Abram was- and Ron Howard and somebody else who is – or and then maybe back to Abrams, you know, but – you know, people who can make a good studio film that aren't going to be so concerned with, um, I don't know, like trying to reinvent the wheel, so to speak. I guess what I'm saying is like, have you guys ever had somebody say like, oh, you're watching the movie wrong or you're enjoying it for the wrong reasons? Like no one likes to hear that, right? That's bullshit. But I do feel like by, I think part of what the fans are saying is that if you in episode seven say, oh, there's a mystery about who Snoke is, and there's a mystery that we're deliberately teasing out of whose Ray's parents are, and then you kind of egregiously just undercut that, I kind of feel like you are, and, and you know, you break the laws of the lore, and you uh, kind of have a very radical interpretation of, you know, a core character to the mythology. You know, there, there are certain details that I've heard people criticize the movie on that I can't argue against. Like, at the end of Episode Seven, Luke is on an island in his Jedi uniform. If he's renouncing the Jedi, why is he dressed up like one? You know, like... Didn't bring any other clothes. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. But, you know, isn't that a spit in your face of, like, you know, fuck you nerds with your lore. I'm going to show you cinema. I, w- I mean, I'm, I'm one of the people like Ryan Johnson who cares more about cinema than about lore, but I get it. Like, I wouldn't want someone telling me that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you think? I got to kind of side with the fans on that, honestly. Like, as far as being, like, the details to me were, were a big part. Of, like, that's a great way to put it, and I'm realizing now that's exactly what it was. That it was, this, it was, the focus was more on the cinema than it was on the things that I felt like I'd loved about the movies, which were those little details, the worlds being so detailed. And it was not, um, yeah, I, I don't, but then, as, but as far as whether or not somebody who thinks the way I do has ownership over the movies, I don't know about that. I don't know if that's. I mean, it depends on the criteria that we're using to make the judgment, right? Like if yeah. we're looking at it from Lucasfilms and Disney's perspective, 
they have a responsibility to their shareholders, blah, 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 all that shit, right? So then their job is to get a return on investment. So in order to get a return on investment, what do you do? You make a good product, you invest good money in it, you hire good people, and you make sure you have a product that's going to drive eyeballs and butts and seats, right? But if you're Which talking about case, it like yeah. from a perspective of artistic fidelity or being um, a, a cinematic in- innovator, then I say fuck it. You know, fuck you, man. <laughs> Create stuff, you know? You, you you aren't responsible to these external pressures. I mean, that is the that is the complete stifling of the sublimating powers of artistic impetus. And so it's it's tough. It depends on what criteria we're using to make the judgment. And this is why no one gives Austin billion dollar IPs. <laughs> <laughs> but but okay okay. But does this change now that we are in a post George Lucas world? It'd be one like th- this is. There's no more. Like Austin and I like like to talk about Death of God a lot. This is kind of a Death of God moment where Star Wars used to be the brainchild of George Lucas. Now it's just a piece of IP that a corporation owns. And then basically it seems like they just kind of pick a fan because that's all Ryan Johnson is. Ryan Johnson is an anointed fan. He grew up just like us, loving Star Wars. And now he's got his own vision for what it is. So, I mean, if George Lucas no longer makes Star Wars then does that change your opinion on how much of the fans should be able to dictate what a new Star Wars film at least feels like? Well, what was George Lucas's track record? He made two great movies, followed by a good movie, followed by two terrible movies, and an okay movie. Okay, no, that's a good point, but you know, it's interesting to hear that people are defending George, like, there's, like, which is crazy. It's bonkers. It's crazy. Like, to, to, to think that I've seen videos of people saying, you know, oh, George Lucas just came out today and said that he didn't like what Ryan Johnson did with Luke. You should have listened to George Lucas, Ryan. It's like the fact that anybody is saying that they should have listened to George Lucas after a decade of pe- Oh. Yeah, or after a decade of people saying George Lucas ruined my childhood is crazy. Well, yeah, it's you know, when Force Awakens came out, it had been since 1983 before a good Star Wars movie had come out. You might argue with. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I said it's it's approaching good. Okay, so it's it's just it's almost revisionist history where it's yeah you know, we've moved far enough beyond that these good old days have been glorified and. You know, it's it's this nostalgia that's boiling up. Um, I, I'll tell you who should be the most annoyed with this whole thing is J.J. Abrams because he his signature move is the mystery box. And he in all through episode seven, it's mystery box, raised parents, mystery box, Snoke, all this stuff. Yeah. Ryan comes along, throws open every single uh, <laughs> mystery box and it's a red herring in every single one. Mm. Yeah. And, but I feel like if J.J. gave a shit, he would, you know, have a meeting with Ryan. But it just seems like. Nobody really cared. You know, <laughs> but do you no, think ever... that those mystery boxes still have some level of power that they can come back in the final film and it can be like, oh, Kylo Ren was mistaken. Your parents really are somebody important. Or, oh, Snoke really was somebody else important and he's going to come back. Or, you know, maybe Luke isn't dead, but he's going to come back like Obi-Wan did for him in the original. Oh, trilogy. he'll totally be a force ghost. Right, but guaranteed. Here's the, but, but here's the problem with that. If that happens, all the fans are going to say they did it because we told them to. And even it's going to feel like that. It's if, if Snoke all of a sudden is given new context, it's going to feel like, oh, okay, you know, Disney bowed to the pressure of the fans. Right? I mean, how are we going to take that out of our heads? Well, so then you have the people who are supporters of the film. Now they're going to be turned off, but then maybe the fans that are 
initiating the backlash now are going to be the ones that are they going to be satisfied is it going to be like some sort of weird pathological narcissistic pat on the back like ah we did our duty and we got our property back maybe i don't know i don't even want to think about it (laughs) (laughs) all right who knows there's no telling all right so my next question this is kind of a hypothesis that i have uh, and it kind of goes more in with this whole thing about what does it mean now that the author is dead and i'm curious if Part of this backlash is just has our relationship with the author changed in the age of the Internet and to Austin's point, the age of the prosumer. So this is a hypothesis. Once again, I'm pulling this out of my ass, but this is how I'm kind of thinking about how things are different. And especially Kyle just brought up with the prequels, like people were fucking pissed off at George Lucas, but it was a different fever pitch than it is now. So. I would say that in the original Star Wars, I'm hypothesizing that there was kind of like an unawareness of the author, that the author was kind of safely behind the curtain. So a good way of understanding this is, let's say, and maybe if someone was alive during the time when Empire Strikes Back came out, you can email me, movies at wisecrack.co, and let me know if this is accurate. But people would say something like, rather than, oh, I can't believe that George Lucas decided to make Vader Luke's father, they probably just said, I can't believe that Vader is Luke's father. Hmm. There was just, you know, this this immersion into the world. Then with the prequel trilogy, the artist is revealed and in a sense killed. The mantra during the prequel age was George Lucas killed my childhood, right? <laughs> and we all remember that because I everyone hated the movies. Yeah, hmm. exactly. Now in the Disney era, this is more to what Austin was talking about earlier with the prosumer thing, we have the proliferation of the artist. So people are saying like, Ryan Johnson, fuck you. You're no better than I am. You're just a fan like me. And you know what? You turned the back on the other me's of the world. And this is how you should have done it. You know, there are literally thousands of videos on YouTube of people saying this is what happened beat for beat wrong with The Last Jedi. And here's how it would have been done better. I have a metaphor. Okay, go for it. The metaphor is the relation between the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church. So in... Prior to the Protestant Reformation in like 1517 and after, and this is a generalization because obviously there were different interpretive communities, but generally speaking, canon was controlled by a single top-down hierarchical institution, Catholic Church. The Pope, right. Catholic Church, they're the ones who – they determine the interpretation of the text. Then with the Protestant Reformation, what you get is this possibility – of this endless proliferation of interpretive communities. So not only do you get Lutheranism, you get Calvinism. You don't just get Calvinism, but then you get Zwingli, who is like a hyper-Calvinist. And then you get uh, the Anabaptists, and then the Calvinists don't like the Anabaptists, and the Lutherans don't like the Calvinists. And then you get uh, American Protestantism, and then it goes, you've got Methodists and Episcopalians and Anglicans in, in the UK, and you've got all of these different denominations, Baptists, Southern Baptists, First Baptists, Presbyterians, OP, um, all of these various denominations, and you get these tensions that arise between that. And it's because there isn't a singular unifying ecumenical power that unites everything. And I wonder if something similar isn't happening here. And obviously there's a metaphor, but I wonder if we're in the age now of radical interpretive communities and there isn't that single power that everybody believes in that's like the unifying structure with within the Star Wars universe at least which used to be George Lucas he used to be the pope but now right exactly Mar- Martin Luther came along and said here's the 95 theses fuck you George Lucas uh we're going to create our own thing and so now you have 
Christian scientists popping up and Mormonism popping up and Jehovah's Witnesses popping up and I don't know, it's weird sex cults and David Koresh and fucking Jamestown or Jonestown and you've got these kind of – and I'm not in any way saying – that all of these things are identical, of course. I'm not trying to identify Jonestown with Orthodox Presbyterianism. But my point is is that you have this radical pr- proliferation of these interpretive communities, some of which might be more toxic, like the ones who are attacking um, – uh, they were attacking Daisy Tran. Ridley and – what's her name? Kelly Tran? Uh, Kelly Marie Tran, yeah. Kelly Marie Tran. They were attacking both of them and um, and that were similarly attacking Leslie Jones after the Ghostbusters uh, movie when that whole debacle was going on. So I wonder if – there's like a similar metaphorical thing going on here. Okay, so I, I like that a lot. I want to transition to my last question of the evening, and that is, why is this happening now, and how does now, you know, 2018 or 2017 or whatever, how is this affecting the way that this discussion is happening? So, um, okay, so earlier on we mentioned that Return of the Jedi had likens US, the U.S. to a colonial empire with like Ewoks equaling the Vietnamese, but I actually had our interns searching for any indication of a backlash back then, and we couldn't find any. There didn't seem to be anything. The Star Wars prequels were overtly political. Now, granted, there wasn't like a sensitivity to it, but it's overtly about like the follies, the follies of democracy and how fascism can rise. And so if one were to say that Kathleen Kennedy is more interested in making a political statement than making a fun movie, you could definitely say the same thing about Lucas because those prequel movies were, by and large, not fun and were kind of overloaded with politics. So is there an element of projection going on? I think both of kind of a pathological projection, both on the part of the fans and the critics of the fans and Disney. So let me read a, a quote from a Wired article. They say, how does the love at the heart of fandom curdle into something so caustic? These anti-fans see in the new casts and storylines the agendas of blinkered social justice warriors more interested in diversity quotas and signaling virtue than making good movies. The new versions come to seem like aggressive critiques of the older work and by extension an existential attack on people who love it. In their minds, critiques of monochrome casting become criticisms of people who liked the prior versions, critiques of them landing at the exact moment they lose perceived centrality in a story they thought they owned. So what do you guys think about this? Is yeah, Go ahead, Helen. I think the cause and effect here are kind of messed up a little bit. I don't think that the fans saw their um, the diversity, for instance, in this new, you know, in these in these new um, sequels as being critical of the whitewashed kind of, you know, ness of the old ones. But I do think that people suggesting that to be critical of the movies was the same as being racist because they were so diverse absolutely is something that, you know, it's probably a little bit insulting to start with, you know, just to and I think that would put pressure on – I think we've seen that over and over again, that that kind of um, generates a, a pretty hefty response from people. So, so Sagan, you're saying uh, who who is the one being insulted? Right. Well, I think the fans that think that, you know, who didn't – who were, you know, critical of these films and thought that, you know, by – or were told that by being critical of them that they were racist or sexist or whatever, mm-hmm. I think that is what's – is where you see the pushback. Right. But that being said, I mean, obviously, again, a hara- you know, the, 
the acting out, the the ram of right. uh, harassing yeah. people yeah. is right. just not that's okay. Beyond, period. Yeah, that's yes. yeah, that's the, that goes without saying. Yeah. Like that's not even part of the really the you know I don't know that just but I think that there's um. Yeah, that that's a that's a, probably a frustration. It's like, no, we didn't like it for all of these other reasons, but we can't even criticize something anymore. I mean, that's because we feel like then we'll be accused of um, uh, being racist, sexist, whatever. Right. I don't know. So I, I have a question for you. Yes. Yeah. So when you look at art, like how much of – and you've mentioned that uh, Return of the Jedi had a lot of uh, commentary about the Vietnam War. Now, how much of that was George Lucas intentionally saying, I want to create this parallel, this this illustration of the Vietnam War in cinema? And how much of it was, this is familiar imagery, this is something that will connect? Like, how much of it was him making a statement sure. versus it just being a sign of the time and the current climate and a, a reflection of that? Yeah, so it's a great question and probably one that can't be easily answered. So I would say a couple things. One if I were to say that it was the first one, like that, that George Lucas was actually overtly trying to make a critical statement about America, I would point to the fact that George Lucas in general is extremely <laughs> critical of American foreign policy, both, true. both both back then and uh, during the Bush administration. Now, uh, you know, Austin and I often talk about how we're kind of death of the author kind of guys, and it doesn't really matter what the uh, author meant. But I would also say that, yeah, you're probably right. Like, it's so clear that through most of the original trilogy— the empire was supposed to represent Nazism. So, so like, yeah, it, it could be just, you know, him saying, you know, and I, and I, yeah, so I think that there's probably as good of an argument to be made that, yeah, it was just kind of using familiar imagery of the time. But I guess the, the most, the more important thing is that whether you make argument A or argument B, no one seemed to get angry about it, you know? Well, you just never heard the people getting angry well, about possibly, because not possibly. everyone had That's, a megaphone at the it's time. It's either no exactly. one was angry about it or the way that we engage with authors and engage with art was different so that nobody even really thought so much about like subtextual messages and stuff like that or agendas within like people just, you know, they didn't, even, they didn't think about what studio or how much money was being made. They were just invested in the plot. You know, I want to know what happens to Luke. Yeah, I came out of Phantom Menace and... I was unsure about what I had just experienced. I was like, I don't know if I like that. I, I need to see that again. I didn't go to Twitter and see a bunch of other people having the same feelings that I did. It's you know, looking back, I probably would have been a lot more uh, upset about it and vocal about it if I had a whole bunch of voices coming back at me, agreeing with me and mm. supporting my uh, – and kind of pushing me to that extreme edge. Yeah. And, and I think that's – it's something that's not just Star Wars right now. It's – you know, people say half of the people who hate the movie came out of it and were saying, oh, that's confusing. I don't know how I like it. And then immediately they see all of this negative reinforcement and it pushes them all the way to the extreme. And now people even want to remake the movie. I, it's almost like this feedback loop that is yeah. unique in this generation. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, the, the importance of the Internet can't be overstated. Yeah, I mean, if I, can, if I can get, like, a little wanky, I'll try and be really quick here. But there's a philosopher named Bernard Stiegler who writes a lot about technology and technics and things like that. And he has this term that he calls with, uh, tertiary retention. And basically, so secondary retention for him is memory. And then tertiary retention is the sort of mm -hmm. externalization of our cognitive and affective labor that is embedded within technology, right? So, like, the actual technolo technological, like, I'm holding my cell phone in my hand right now. There's actual affective labor and cognitive labor 
knowledge that is stored in our technological entities, right? And he talks a lot about how social media um, or, uh, or, or social networks is what he talks about. But let's say social media is a version or a form of this rapidly proliferated, intense acceleration of knowledge or cognitive labor that just like Kyle said, is stored out there and then there's a feedback loop that imposes on us certain demands or expectations and it elicits then certain responses in our relation to it. And so I think Kyle's absolutely right. I think that had social media been a thing 20, 30 years ago and if you had a negative sentiment that you felt and you found somebody else or a group of somebody else's that similarly had that kind of negative sentiment that you would like – intensify as you circled around each other, kind of like in, um, uh, um, I always confuse them, centripetal and centrifugal force. Which one goes inwards? There's no such thing as centrifugal force. Okay, well, centripetal. <laughs> Centri- <laughs> yeah, but centri- but you know what I was thinking? The, there's in, the inward force, not the outward one. Um, so, but the Science, one that, bro. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gosh. The one that goes inwards. You should have had me bring a physicist with me. I know. But the one that goes inwards, there's like, a, there's like an intensification as all of these people circle around each other moving faster and faster and they get more angry and it becomes more intense and then they're drawing in more power and they're drawing in more people within their sort of gravitational pull and it builds and it builds and it builds and it's this fucking dust storm that turns into a hurricane. Collapse of the universe and then you need a big bang. Exactly, (laughs) exactly. And so I wonder if social media doesn't kind of essentially have that tendency and if, if that's really what's driving this, you know, and clickbait, media issues and um, the idea that we're just uh, products that media companies are selling to drive up advertising revenues. Like, I wonder if all of this is not contributing to this problem. Jared, I mean, you run a YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. It's, do you think this contributes to the fact that once you start putting out and feeding the beast more or less, and all of a sudden you're getting the likes and subscribers, not saying you do this, but you see it all around, is there all of a sudden now a perverse incentive to be as uh, heated and uh, uh, mm. reactionary as possible? Yeah. And that creates a snowball effect. The best way to put it is right now, there are wars going on for your attention right now. Oh, absolutely. It is, a, it is out there, it is tough. And so if. You know, if something like anger works to get attention, people are going to do that. And once you get attention, the algorithm magnifies it. Dude, just doing mm-hmm. research for this, the algorithm, all my suggested <laughs> feed for YouTube is just rant, 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 yeah. rant about Star Wars. I mean, that's yeah. all it gives me anymore. Um, but I want to uh, I want to hear what you guys think. But my, my last thing I want to say is I think there's a certain tragedy to this scenario. So on the one hand, we have fans that let's just take uh, of all the criticisms, let's take the ones that have been uh, most painted as barbaric. And that is that uh, I guess basically just like the sexism and racism stuff. So there are fans who are unhappy with the last Jedi and are vocal about their unhappiness who just think that let's just take, for example, Holdo and Kelly Marie trans character are just bad characters. And these are the same people who can appreciate the, you know, the Pam Greers, the Bran of Tarth, the Cersei Lannisters, the Katniss Everdeens, the Ripleys, the Sarah Connors, the Trinities of the world. And but then on the other hand, there are the people who see, you know, what we talked about at the beginning of The Force Awakens. They see the Force Awakens trailer. They see John Boyega and they say, oh, you're showing a black man as the first thing. Like, why are you trying to, like, you know, promote some sort of social justice 
uh, agenda or people who just see um what's her name uh or see holdo with with uh, purple hair and think automatically think she's a feminazi so there are the good fans then there are the ones that are probably projecting their own kind of you know projecting just the shit that we're in in the culture war onto the movie but on the other hand there are i do think there's an element of hollywood that cynically like weaponizes ideology when they're being confronted with criticism so even if somebody says holdo is a bad character and kelly marie trans character is a bad character hollywood will come to them and say oh well you're a sexist misogynist and it just creates this feedback loop where nobody wins and it's just vitriol from all sides and it just sucks such as Hollywood is politics in general yeah. too. It's just it's right. a it's an easy response uh, when you get into that identity politics totally. arena, right? Yeah. yeah, that's what I was trying to get at. My I know someone who had took serious issue with a wrinkle in time, and I was just kind of uh, joking around like, you know, you can't say that because if you have take issue with a wrinkle like that, just because if you go and you look on Twitter pretty quickly after that's that is the response that you get is that you know oh well you appreciate some childhoods but not others if you thought it was a bad movie and he took that incredibly personally and was like i'm a filmmaker and i you know have issue with the way that the story is told and i can't even have those kinds of criticisms was this what you said or what someone on twitter said oh i'm sorry i was showing him what you know the response oh. on twitter it was kind of just kind of maybe pushing a button like oh well, hey look at I this i do that to people but i'm just yeah. trolling them like i'm right. just like fucking with my <laughs> oh, friend i was totally you know, like... trolling with yeah, 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 for yeah. sure, for plus, sure. But he took Jared it just hates Oprah. Yeah. <laughs> Which I, you know, I didn't see a wrinkle in time. I heard it was, you know, it. I heard well that the storyline was was rough. But then I also heard that you know it was a monumental film in terms of what it you know did socially. But um, I feel like there is that it's it's hard. Yeah, people will exploit the identity politics. I think to a certain degree. I think I mean, weaponized is a good word that you use. Yeah. People are clamoring for meaning. We're clamoring for value. If we do live in an age of the death of God, and this is largely what the postmodern critics were writing about, right? Skepticism towards meta narrative and things like that that come in the wake of World War II where uh, these, these myths of progress, of modern in- intelligence and of rational capacity and the individual agent, that those things kind of got thrown into disrepute and and then that just kind of continues and so people are there they feel awash in this sea without a mooring and without a compass and without a map and so i think a lot of times they imbue their value into these these um to use that bernard stiegler's terms again into these like tertiary retentional technical apparatuses. It's these external things, these things that we then define ourselves by that mediate our social relations. And the Star Wars universe is one of those things that gives people meaning. And so when that comes into conflict with other narratives, which would be the identity politics narrative, for example, and people then may have an averse reaction to identity politics because maybe that jars with another narrative of theirs, which is that, you know, they don't want to be told how to live their lives or whatever the fuck it is. You get this complex of these various different images that kind of all come together and it creates a, a shitstorm, if you will. And and it's difficult to navigate. It's difficult to navigate. But I, I get it. I think people, they feel personally attacked when they see it and it's because they're so sensitive because they don't have faith in another god and so they're like new age materialist religion of Star Wars or whatever is being compromised by some other competing narrative, supposedly. 
And yeah, so James Mangold yeah. was way more apt than he thought he was when he said that directing big franchises has become the emotionally loaded equivalent of writing a new chapter of the Bible. Hundred percent. A hundred percent. I mean, yeah. Or becoming I, a GM of a sports team. Yeah, you, know, you make the oh, one. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's not just Star Wars. It's this is something right. that's happening all yeah. around. It's a good point. Yeah, see, you remember when the Gretzky trade happened? Well, you don't remember, but when the Gretzky trade—I remember—trade happened. <laughs> you know, it was news. Mm-hmm. If yeah. that trade, something similar, were to happen today, and everybody went to Twitter to, to well, talk it did. about it, Cristiano or... Ronaldo just left Real Madrid for Juventus, and so even though uh-huh. in America it's not that big, Europe is fucking freaking out, right? England just lost in the World Cup last night. People are destroyed. It's it's the equivalent of losing. I don't know, some sort of, I don't know, having some sort of doctrinal dispute or it it is a religious sort of thing. But wasn't, I mean, but with soccer or football, whatever you want to call it, with with that, I mean, especially within England, like that was always a very zealous community, even in times where people were perhaps more religious. Uh, I mean, I don't know if it's like ingrained into like a British psyche. Like, I don't know if it's an essence of them. I, I think there are historical reasons that would, that would elicit more fervor and more attachment but i mean i kind of get what you mean yeah Yeah, i i would almost say that star wars is it's not a unique thing that's happening in the world Mm -hmm. what it is is it's it's a symptom of something that's happened within you know the modern society but because it is such a large community of fans it's the most apparent Mm -hmm. you know it's it's uh you know if if there were 20,000 people and they cared about something and something went wrong and they tweeted about themselves, no one notices. But when it's Star Wars and there's millions upon millions upon millions of people and it amplifies itself, all of a sudden it's like, oh, hey, gosh, there's some mean people on Twitter and, oh, these people are being mean back. And it's it's just so much more apparent when you're dealing with uh, something the size of Star Wars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, guys, mm-hmm. any closing thoughts? I think it'll be nice when, you know, having like diverse films and and is not just seen, you know, as a political statement and it's the norm. I think this is a rough patch that if that's, you know, the the ideolog- ideological issues are um I I don't know, I think it'll be something that's overcome, but it's people have to weather this and you have to deal with these shitheads before you can kind of get through the next. And we, yeah, I mean, and I would say I would agree with everything you said, but when we say shitheads, I would say both the racist fans and the people who weaponize ideology when confronted with criticism. I, I agree with that. Totally. Totally. Yeah. So, up. Helen, would you be in a Star Wars movie? If yeah, you were cast sure. Tomorrow, you would, you would, totally. Would now, you delete your Instagram account? Um, well, yeah, I don't know, pro- man. Like, would you, uh, I mean, let, think about that for a second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably both. You would, you would <laughs> probably both. That's a, a scary phone. thing. Yeah, I thought about getting a flip phone anyway. This is too much. This is I mean, overwhelming. Think what happened, I mean, I mean, you know, it's we're talking about Kelly Marie Tran, but let's not forget what happened to Young Anakin. That guy oh got fucked for life. Jake Lloyd. Jake yeah, Lloyd. Yeah, man, it just where, came out oh. the guy who was in the Jar Jar Binks suit who was talking almost about, killed himself. Oh my yeah. god! And that's before Twitter and all that stuff. Damn. Like, I can only imagine it would have been much worse for them. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. You know. You, you become too big of a fan. You become it, – it's almost like you lose touch with your humanity in a way. It's a, it's like a, you've replaced it in a way with uh, this other world that means more to you than the world you're living in. Yeah. I mean I got to be honest. I've been deep into fandom before, but for me it was The Matrix. And <laughs> uh, I was disappointed and reloaded, but I never really 
I was never really mad at the creators because I, I knew I, I knew that they tried, you know, <laughs> and uh, yeah, never, you know, never really said anything mean to him on Twitter, but Twitter wasn't around. So who knows? <laughs> yeah. You wrote him uh, an angry letter. No, I didn't. I didn't. Um, but who knows if if the Internet was around like it, I mean, it was around, but if the if Twitter was around back then and I went on Twitter and. Other people's vitriol just made me more angry than, I don't know, maybe in a fit of rage I would have done something. Who knows? Yeah, criticism has zero cost. Imagine if you had to pay 32 cent stamp or whatever it is nowadays in order to send (laughs) every uh, angry letter to uh, Kelly Marie Tran. Yeah. Mm. There's a a philosopher that, and I can't remember what his name is right now, but he says uh, that we should try to touch the world lightly. And I think there's something important about that. And basically he means chill the fuck out, people. Like, (laughs) don't get so damn attached to things. I mean, this is one of the essential truths of Buddhism, right? It's that there is suffering in the world and that suffering comes from attachment to the world. Now, I'm not saying that you just completely disattach and you don't give a shit about your family. I don't think even Buddhist thought is, is articulating that. But there is something about investing yourselves too much in, like, these things that we care about. Like... At the end of the day, I get it. You, it helped with your childhood, and you found value in it, and you found communities of meaning and whatnot. But maybe the real value that you found in it was the social value that allowed you to connect with other people. And maybe you can figure out how to find meaning in other ways within social connections that aren't so wedded to these contingent and fluid properties that that I don't know. Maybe there's just a better way to to find meaning and social value than fucking for me, bursting ahead over a fucking Star Wars movie. For me, the lesson is get off Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's it. Austin, you gotta do it. Yeah. Hey, All right. I'm, I'm building a brand, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. This is a bit of a test for Show Me the Meaning, so hit us up. Uh, hit us up on our Wisecast YouTube channel. Uh, this might be put up there. If not, hit us up with an email at movies at wisecrack.co. That's .co, not .com. Let us know if you want us to do uh, more discussions about topical things. Uh, I want to thank Helen for joining us. Very welcome. Thank you for having me. I want to thank our newcomer, Kyle, for joining us. Hey, it's great to be here. Yeah, and Austin, thank you again for joining us. Yeah, of course. All right, guys, that's (laughs) it from us. See you all later. May the force be with you. All right. Peace.